2: Hello and welcome to Full Chat, the weekly F1 news and discussion show that will find this whole podcasting thing a lot easier if some actual news would happen in the world of Formula One sometime soon. I'm Brad Philpott and as always I've done my best to scrape the motorsport barrel for some winter F1 content and we want you to add your views and join the discussion in our live YouTube chat. We run a Twitter space during our recording, but we totally neglect the people listening on that platform, so if you're one of them, search Full Chat F1 on YouTube and get involved in the actual chatting. Remember, any super chat questions get a guaranteed answer, but even if you're a cheapskate and don't pay us money, we'll probably answer you anyway. Tonight, we discuss the latest thing Mohamed Ben Salayem said but shouldn't have. We talk about Audi officially buying a stake in Sauber and what to expect from that team. In history with Alex and Brad we talk about the worst F1 drivers ever and why they were so bad and as usual we answer your questions in real time as you send them in. Joining me as always a former semi-decent kart racer who thinks Viri Chatelon is a type of fancy french cream for pouring on his dessert my co-host and best mate Alex Van Jean. How's it going Alex?
1: You are absolutely correct. That joke is far too highbrow for me and I don't understand it.
2: So Viri Châtillon is the place where Renault make their Formula 1 engines, famously. Viri, okay.
1: Viri. I, I know where Viri is. Okay, that makes more sense.
2: I thought you might have heard of that. Um, also joining us tonight is a special guest who's never been on a podcast before. They all shunned him because his accent's hard to understand and he inexplicably supports the worst team in the sport. But like Williams giving a chance to an ageing Nick DeVries at Monza last year, we've welcomed him with open arms into the full chat fold. It's super quick kart racer, sim racer, northerner, Danny Henney. How's it going, Danny? I'm good, thanks. Really enjoyed that intro. That, uh, that really made me feel more at ease. I've been trying to keep it secret. Like, I don't tell Alex what the joke is about him each week. I thought I'd keep that one <laughs> secret from you as well. Danny, who are you? Why have we brought you on?
0: So, I'm Danny Henny. obviously. Uh, I'm a friend of your two's, um, and we mainly know each other from karting, so it's been a while since we actually um, got on the track together, but yeah, past experience of doing karting, like everybody, tried to be a, a professional racing driver and Unfortunately, it turns out trying to convince people for hundreds of thousands of pounds to go racing and they don't get a lot is a bit more difficult than you expect. Um,
2: so now I mainly spend my time doing sim racing uh, with yourselves. So the reason we've brought you on isn't for your karting prowess no. or your even your sim racing prowess. It's because Alex is always telling me you have a deep and intricate F1 historical knowledge, which is... A big part of this show because we like to talk about things that happened in the past that are interesting and funny and introduce maybe some newer fans who might not have heard of these funny things um, to some of the history that we might take for granted. So we think you're possibly the perfect addition to the crew, provided you don't get us cancelled with talking about anything inappropriate. So thanks for coming on, Danny. I'll try my best. So before we get going, a quick reminder, if you're joining us on the Twitter space, you won't hear the music or the bumpers. So if you want to get involved in the chat and see what we look like and have no weird silences where there's just nothing playing between the topics, head to YouTube and the link is on my Twitter profile or you can just search for Full Chat F1. So Alex, what have you been up to this week? Um, we've been looking at the Daytona 24 Hours because you did the Sim version of that the previous week. We watched the real version at the weekend. Or I, I certainly did. Did
1: you see any of that? I watched about 20 minutes of it um saw some decent stuff but then just made me realize i want to go back and drive it again and the fact that iRacing doesn't have the Cadillac and i can't live without that noise in my life because the noise that that car makes is just beautiful so
2: i watched basically the entire race of course you Um, did I I watched it deep into the night. I was watching it on IMSA TV on my phone. I was watching it at a restaurant with my fiance, And I'm really glad I did because we watched the finish at one of our favorite restaurants locally to us here. And I don't know whether you saw the LMP2 finish where the the guy that won the LMP2 class took the lead at the finish line and won by one hundredth of a second because of a slipstream across the line. It was so worth it.
1: I caught a clip of that video and I was like... This is the last lap. And they slunk, they slingshotted past a, a, a LMP3, I think it was. Um, and then all of a sudden, the other guy comes around the outside. Amazing stuff. After 24 hours, I don't think people actually understand how difficult that is to be have that close a fight over a day. Um, yeah. You know, when, when we've done 24-hour rate, kart races in the past, you know, there's usually quite big gaps. Actually, our first podium... Um, was was like that when we um we took second place in the last couple of laps no one but, cares um, about our go-karting but yeah they do <laughs> no
2: nobody cares about the go-karting we've done um so we have some actual topics um there hasn't been a lot of F1 news this week but we have tried to find some things and and just today there was the Haas livery launch so before we delve into our proper topics should we just briefly touch upon the, it's not really news, is it? Has released some computer renders of the colours of their new car on a pretend car. Does anyone care?
1: What? Like what? we totally, utterly predicted that it would all just be livery launches. Has yeah. that actually happened? What a surprise. And it's going um, to
2: continue to happen through was, the launches.
1: It was a bit meh. People, some people are trying to compare it to Mansell's old IndyCar. Some people are trying to compare it to...
2: When you say some people, you mean me because that's literally what is I Is that what you
1: did as well? I I tweeted a picture oh, of Mansell's car. Your, I didn't see your tweet. Um, I was with Brad. I thought it was quite nice, to be fair. So uh, no yeah, it was a bit meh. It was it's not not bad. You know, we, we've seen much worse liveries, but it was just a bit meh. Maybe I'm in a bad mood, but it was just meh for me.
2: I I wasn't that excited by it, and I think it would have been better in like all black. Um, but let's with talk some about paint that. And cool some green. Okay, yeah, our colours, the full chat colours, would have been better, obviously. But um, but Danny. You remember that Mansell um, Indy car, don't you? So I,
0: I do, yeah. I remember Mansell doing working wonders in that Indy car. I was, uh, I was only a little lad back then, but yeah, I was sad to see him leave F1. But yeah, he was amazing. Uh, Mansell, for me, is one of the, the greatest ever. Just unbelievable driver in the, um, the drives what he had.
2: He could just wrestle a car, and that, that car, for me, is iconic. So that whole story was one of my favourite F1 stories as a kid, where you have... Um, you know, one of the top drivers leaving the sport, pretty much in his prime still. As He's champion, still, yeah, uh, yeah, he as left champion. The champion. And then going over to a completely different series, and basically just. I mean, I don't remember the points and stuff, but I remember my my false memory, uh, at least, is that he went and walked the championship and just dominated and showed IndyCar how good Formula One drivers were. Pretty much,
0: yeah. There was a lot of talk about, obviously, IndyCars were much better at doing it than, um, sorry, the Indy drivers were much better than the Formula One drivers. And yeah, Mansell pretty much didn't get on with Williams, um, had a big falling out about the drive and and getting it guaranteed and uh, went to IndyCar and pretty much demolished everybody. It was absolutely
2: incredible. And the car looked awesome. And that, anyway, yeah. that's why we were talking about it versus the Haas, because it was white and black and red, a little bit like Ooh. today's Haas colors.
1: It is interesting with regards to that Mantle thing, because Mantle going to IndyCar, because an interview with Schumacher has surfaced that I'd never seen before, where he was asked the question about would he ever go to IndyCar? And he was like, no, why would I ever go to IndyCar? F1's the pinnacle. It's where it is. I mean, Danny's probably got more insight on this because Danny is a Michael Schumacher super fan. So Literally. you probably know more about it than I do. Yeah. We should
2: probably talk about Danny's fandom um, in a moment as well. So you were a Schumacher fan in the Schumacher years, Danny. Um, well, funnily enough, I started out as a monthful fan for when I was
0: first started watching it. Um, then I went on to Damon Hill like most people did. Uh, and I actually didn't like Schumacher when I first seen him because obviously he was, he was beating Damon Hill. And then uh, obviously I grew up a bit and understood racing a bit more and started to realise that actually he were not too bad. And then, yeah, Schumacher for me is the GOAT by, by a country mile. Obviously we won't get into that argument, but um, yeah, he was literally my racing idol, got into karting because of him, based on my driving style, um, even the mentality out on a racetrack, obviously you'll relate to it as well. Just, just I...
2: taking people out when it suits no, you. No, exactly. <laughs>
0: Wow, well, I'll say you relate more to that than me, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was good to see. But that utter determination and the, the, um, the mind game of trying to beat your opponents before you even get out on track—I just really loved that aspect of it. Yes, he, you know, he pushed a lot of things to the limit and over it occasionally. Um, but yeah, he was just for me—he was the, the great, and he still is to this day. No one will ever,
2: no one will ever come close. So, on from being a fan of the wrong driver in the 90s, Danny then went on to be a fan of the (laughs) wrong driver in the current period um, because much against kind of our better judgment, we've brought on a raging Max Verstappen fan onto our lovely, friendly, welcoming podcast. Um, So, I mean... Uh, we're we're not going to hold that against you it will introduce an interesting dynamic danny if you're if you we don't boot you off this show after today because you were terrible and we bring you back for (laughs) race you know post race debriefs we're not going to do race reviews on this show Mm -hmm. like some podcasts we're not going to kind of go into depth and talk about the whole race but we will definitely talk about controversial incidents that your favorite driver is likely to cause (laughs) so it will be great having you on for that kind of thing as well introduce a bit more of a dynamic
0: well, we we have plenty of debates, don't we, in the uh, the chat groups about it all the time. So, um, yeah, it'll be good. And like I say, I've got no problem. So the chat can come at me with a banter. I'm, I love a bit of banter. So come at me with all the abuse you want for being a Red Bull and uh, and a Max fan. But yeah, I really like Max. I think he's a great driver. Put Again, similar to Schumacher, pushes things to the limit, occasionally over them. I think we'll all agree. Um, but yeah, hopefully I can add a different side of the pond um, with a different view on some things.
2: Thanks, Danny. So if we do start to run out of things to talk about, which I don't think we're going to with tonight's lineup, but if we do, there's also the Red Bull Ford tie up news, which again is not real news because and we can go into it. But I think that's probably most likely to just be Ford badging. um, I mean, if it even happens, Ford badging a Red Bull powertrains engine and doing similar to I think what Porsche were gonna do, but we'll we'll maybe just try and remember to talk about that later as well because I saw a couple of people in the chat mentioning that. But maybe let's get on to our scheduled topic. So the first of those was some comments that surfaced from FIA president Mohammed Ben Salem who hasn't been out of the news much recently from a, a 20-year-old archived website where he said the following. Um, his likes and dislikes are basically simple. He stated, I love the desert. I love meeting real people, but I don't like talking about money, nor do I like women who think they're smarter than men, for they are not in truth. Um, a, a strange way of wording um, something, but that was his views back then in 2001, uh, apparently. The FIA, uh, and I'm sure uh, Mohammed Ben Salim himself, will say that's no longer his views, or he doesn't hold those views. What do we think about those views, Alex?
1: I mean, listen, it it was, you couldn't say those things 20 years ago, and you definitely can't say those things now. Um, Especially because, I mean, if you look at mine and your relationships, Brad, it ain't blooming true. (laughs) We are definitely the lower end of the education level in both of our relationships. So, um, you know, I if it's been something he had just said he would already be out of a job um he has probably had to fight very very hard to say like listen it was 20 years ago was it was he 40 something now so he was probably in his in his late 20s back then um you know and he's probably fobbed it off of oh, I i was i was young and dumb and said stupid things um am i gonna hold it against him Probably, because you can't say that kind of stuff. Has he just added another nail to his coffin? Probably. Are we going to see him finish, that, finish out the year as head of the FIA? God knows with, with what could possibly happen in F1 this season, the things that he could say and do. So my view is
2: that, again, I kind of echo your sentiment. It's It's not a good thing to have stated, even on an old... Archive website, but then I probably wouldn't want to be held to things um, that I would have said 20 years ago or views that I might have held back then. I definitely have not stayed static in um, in how I think about the world in the last 20 years. However, I wasn't surprised by those comments. Um, they are certainly, uh, you know, women are not um, treated particularly equally in certain parts of the world, and the Middle East is one of those areas. Um, Ben Salaam is from um, United Arab Emirates. Um, He's a a native Emirati, I think they're called. Um, The people who are native to there rather than people who have kind of moved across there and then had children. Um, I read that today. Um, I I I doubt if we were to look too closely into the laws of of that particular region or or the customs and traditions that women are held, um, you know, kind of on an equal playing field to men. But I might be wrong about that. But I, I wasn't surprised by it. I kind of echo what you said. I don't hold that against him. I think he'll say and has said plenty of other stuff which is going to do more damage to his FIA tenure. But Danny, as a person who does agree with his views, <laughs> um, how would you like to defend him?
1: <laughs> You're, You're mean, t- Brad. You can't do that to him on his first I'm
0: sorry, yo, no, it's a, it's Unbelievable. I'm do, sorry, Danny. Just for clarity, I do not agree with his views.
2: Uh, we we just assumed, you know, based on your other, you know, the, the other things you support that you He'd probably be in that box as well. No,
0: definitely okay. not. He's just a he's just a plonker, and he. To be fair, I'm I'm not a fan of him. Since he's come in, I don't really see what he's bringing to the party. Um, everything he seems to try and do just don't don't really add anything to the sport. Um, but yeah, I mean that statement was just unbelievable. You just can't can't get over it really. It's like how can you be so silly to say something like that on the career path he's been on and not expected to come back and bite
2: you? Irrelevant of how long ago it was. So our chat is correcting Alex, um, saying that um, Ben Salam is 61 and he was over 40 when he made those comments. So um, anyway, I don't think it's particularly massive news, but there wasn't really much other news to talk about this week. So I thought we'd just include yeah. that. Um, however, that particular person, Ben Salam, is probably going to crop up in our later feature. Definitely, Danny, Danny's had a hand in um, crafting. So looking forward to that when we get to it. Um, So maybe we should move on to our second news topic. Hang on. Is this any more newsy than the first one? Let's have a look. So this one was, uh, I've I've called it on our little um, thumbnail, but you can't see if you're listening on Twitter or listening to the podcast. But it's the Audi um, buy-in of Sauber, which we've called Saudi, um, because last week we had a a Saudi Arabia news story. That's the tie-in. audi were that's always expected. clutching brad that's I really know. really clutching I, know. I just thought it was <laughs> i thought it was funny when i typed it um it was just a, a terrible play on words we always knew this was going to happen it's just really the only news here is that it's happened
1: and- well it's for me it's actually more significant because when it was first announced it was felt like a sponsorship deal because they hadn't bought into the team but now they're going to buy it they've bought a stake in the team i was trying to find what the percentage is but i couldn't find the percentage um but they're also going to be doing it's a minority stake whatever that means that's all i read but they're going to be doing expansion to their factory and all the engines are going to be built there so that is super interesting because that is integrating the engine side of the business and the Formula One side of the business, that it's all going to be done under one roof. You know, we've seen before with the Honda difficulties when they came into the sport, when they were building the engines in Japan while um, McLaren were building the engines in the UK, and the massive um, um, uh, separation between the two teams caused lots and lots of issues. Obviously, with this, it's all going to be under the same roof. Obviously, there'll be lots of Audi people piled into uh, the factory over in Hinwil, um, over in Switzerland. And um, I actually think now it's a better prospect than it was a few weeks ago, months ago, when they announced it.
2: So this is definitely much more of a proper factory effort than we've seen from Alpha Romeo, who branded Salva for the last few years, but had absolutely nothing to do with the, the, you know, the running of the team or providing engines or anything like that. It was entirely just a sponsorship naming deal. Um, whereas the Audi... The Audi prospect is a proper factory team. It's just a shame that it's not a new factory team, isn't it? It would be nicer if it was if it was fresh and we still had Sauber slash Alfa Romeo. Um go go for it.
1: Well, that's one of the good things that Ben Salim is doing, is he's at least trying to push, trying to get Andretti in so that um we actually do get an 11th team. And I believe we have a super chat. There isn't a question, it's just a dance it's a dancing animation thing, but thank you, Deborah Hood. Let me press the
2: button so we at least hear the sound of the super chat because I got this working after our after our disaster last night. Here we go. No one on Twitter can hear this. Um, and you guys can't hear it either, can you, um, Alex and Danny? Sorry. Well, anyway, some music that goes with the super chat. Now, since... Deborah Hood didn't ask a question and just sent that sticker. I'm going to use that as an opportunity to talk about something that one of the other chat people said. I think it was LG Ch- Jotoma? Um, I can't see it because it's disappeared off my screen, but they say, what about the business F1 article? We could have tied this in nicely to Ben Salam's comments mm. before I moved on. You might have seen in the F1 Twitter sphere <laughs> this week um, that there was um, a, a really awful article written by... Um, business F1, which was handed out, I believe, at the Autosport show recently, where it basically was saying that W Series should have sold itself better by essentially kind of selling the sexy side of the drivers, completely missing the point, completely forgetting the fact that some of the drivers are minors um, and that, you know, it's just inappropriate on lots of levels, incorrect on lots of levels, but. Uh, there's probably not much to say about this either this is why it's not really news because it's just roundly been criticized and we're probably all going to just say yeah that was a dumb thing to write
1: the thing that's ridiculous about that article talking about how they should just use their sexuality to sell the sport it's like what year are you living in you know that's something you'd see written in the 50s not in 2023 I'm absolutely dumbfounded about it and there are some amazing um women content create content creators on on social media who have posted some most outrage about this particular article and they will do a much better job talking about it than we will so uh, I I highly recommend you go find them um Miss Apex's own um Antonia everyone on Twitter did a very good post on 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 TikTok on it and I advise you to go and look at that because she hits the nail right on the head the bit so, for me,
0: what what absolutely shocked me. I only seen it quickly before we come on air, but I cannot believe somebody in a right mind has said, yeah, publish that. Go out and let people see it. It's just...
1: How we got past the editor.
0: Yeah, I can't believe there must be checks in place where someone's looked at that and gone, no way. That that can't go out for publication. And someone's actually gone, yeah, I think this is a good idea. Let's crack on and, and send it out and see the reaction what we get.
2: Yeah, and I think the reaction has been negative, which is good um apologies for anyone on the podcast who will have heard the super chat sound play despite us not having any super chat you got like a bonus bit of music there that's just me pressing the wrong button so um get used to it or you can edit it out no you can't i can't edit it out because it it happened behind what you were saying i have to edit out the the really insightful thing that you were contributing like hopefully
1: you can edit out danny deeply inhaling through the microphone well maybe i'll
2: have a listen back later but this is, in terms of the technical problems that this show has had in the past, this is pretty minor. I'm quite happy at the at the level that we're at. Okay, so moving swiftly on from that other very not newsworthy piece of news, we should get into the meat of this show, which we advertised as worst F1 drivers. And that really is the thing that I'm most interested in talking about. Danny has worked very hard to bring us a, a list and maybe some some more detailed information than Alex and I know about what he thinks are, was it the five worst or how many did you choose in the end day?
0: I was looking at 10, but quickly when I started getting the stats and that, Dan, 10 was just a, a lot of work. So I settled on five in the end. These are just my opinion from watching since uh, I think 1990 is as far back as I can remember. So some people will probably agree. Some people will have different opinions, but again, it's just my opinion, just a bit of fun Um, and seeing what everybody else's thoughts on.
1: Hopefully most people will know their names. They are your opinion, but they are also heaply heaply, they are deeply heaped with stats and statistics to prove you correct.
0: Yeah, I'd be shocked if anybody said they've not one of the worst drivers to ever be in Formula One. Obviously we've got one on there what we know definitely everybody
2: will agree with, so so when when you're when you've been looking at the criteria for this and you're we're looking at worst drivers. Are we talking about people who they just shouldn't have been anywhere near a Formula One car, or are we talking about within the, within the scope of F1 driver skill level, which is obviously like higher than most race drivers skill level. They just aren't as good as the other F1 drivers. Where, whereabouts are we aiming this?
0: This is right on the bottom scale for me. These are people. what I'm, I'm shocked actually got to Formula One uh, and got given the chance. So it's, um, Yeah, some of the stats and some of the facts when you look into it. I mean, I can remember most of it, but even going back and having a look at it, it's been uh, an enjoyable experience, should I say, getting reminded of it. But yeah, these are are pretty bad. So um, hopefully everybody agrees. Are they drivers that will make Nick Latifi look like a world champion? Uh, Some of them, yeah. (laughs) Some of them, I am absolutely convinced, us or some of the viewers could have jumped in and probably done a better job.
2: Okay, so that is the kind of level that I'm I'm interested in because there's such a big misconception when people watch Formula One, when they watch any racing, you know, Formula One is, is one level, but even if you're looking at like a kind of national series, national Formula Four series or something like that, or Formula E or, or anything else, people will look at someone who's not right at the front and say, that driver's crap. They're, they're just, they're rubbish. When in reality, they're actually amazing. Like they blow you away with their skill if you actually sat next to them. But we're not talking about that. Like Nick Latifi, for example. Yeah, he wasn't as good as his teammates, but he's like, he has won races at Formula 2 level. So he's not actually a bad driver. He's just probably not quite good enough to be an F1 driver. We're talking about a step lower than that, which is why
1: this is exciting. Go for it, Alex. I mean, Leonard in the chat said Maldonado. And I'm like, Maldonado won a Grand Prix. Maldonado was a very fast racing driver. He just crashed a lot. Um, But he was still, he wasn't, was he worthy of being in F1 for as long as he was no did he, have, so, did he have did he have the speed absolutely he definitely had the speed i mean was it his first grand prix he was hunting down fernando alonso before he again yeah, binned it. it in the wall um so you know he's he he is a he was competent enough in a formula 1 car but he's he's way above the guys who 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 i hope we're going to talk about tonight
2: yeah and that's why i wanted to make that distinction because that's the line that people get confused at. Like Maldonado, people are, Yeah, you know, I would have also said he's crap. There was a website about has Maldonado crashed today.com <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And, but he won a race. He's obviously not bad. So right, Danny, go for it. Hit us, hit us with the first person on your list. So I'll just give you a quick honourable
0: mention, um, which one come close to getting on the list. So I'm interested to see what people think it is. He falls kind of in the bucket what you're just discussing, but Nelson P K Jr. for me, I thought when he come in in 2008 and 2009 for his talent, his background, etc. I I'd struggled to look back and think of anything that he actually did. He's not as bad as some of them on the list, which is why I didn't get on there, but he was a driver for me, what showed nothing when he come into the sport, just really, okay. really underperformed.
2: Okay. So just to counter that, or just to give a bit more background for people who might not know who this is. So Nelson Piquet jr. was the son of a triple world champion, Nelson Piquet senior um and he ran lewis hamilton very close for the gp2 which used to be which what formula two used to be championship that's who hamilton had to beat to be a a gp2 champion so why did it not translate in formula one was it just that he was against alonso i think he just looked out of his depth i mean we
0: know alonso's you know most of the time a teammate killer unless it's lewis hamilton Um, breaker you mean well breaker yeah um (laughs) But he, he for whatever reason, and I was actually, I remember watching the season with Nelson P. K. battling with Lewis Hamilton. And yeah, he drove brilliant. But when he got into Formula One, he just, nothing seemed to go the right way. He had a lot of spins, a lot of silly crashes. And then obviously we know famously what he ended up doing as well, uh, which well, contributed for me a lot of why you kind of wanted the worst drivers as well.
2: Well, we know what he famously did, but for the listeners who might not necessarily know, what what was the big thing that Nelson Piquet Jr. did which kind of sealed his fate in Formula 1.
0: So Nelson Piquet Jr., believe it or not, actually crashed on purpose in the 2008 Singapore GP to allow Fernando Alonso to pit early and get a massive advantage behind the safety car. And then he went on to win the race for Renault. And it obviously transpired a year later when he was told he was losing his drive, that he blew the whistle on it and come out and said that he was told on purpose to crash by the team, which just... I I, I can actually remember it like it was yesterday. It was just a massive, massive news
1: going around the world. And personally, I can't believe that it had actually happened. It was just absolutely shocking. That full story is definitely a, a history with Alex and Brad um, for for a, for a later episode because there's some of the details, and i have to do a lot of research on that one because there is so much that went into it, so much that happened, um, and so much that had to happen for it to happen. That is just unbelievable and it's that case of it when you actually look at it from afar it's a movie script without a shadow of a doubt and it's one of the biggest racing scandals in in f1 history i kind of agree with brad on the fact that nelson was really good in gp2 didn't quite work for him in f1 but that's also probably another list we can do another day which is drivers who were good in other series and then sucked when they got to formula one
2: So, Danny, just before you carry on, um, in the chat, we've got Luke Maxwell, who says, didn't Schumacher crash on purpose at Monaco? Like, is that not the same kind of thing?
0: I love this. I have seen some of the comments. I must admit, I love them. There was one earlier. I'll have to scroll back and find it. What made me laugh. I think they said, uh, Schumacher and Max fan, he's definitely not getting a Christmas card. That did make me chuckle. Um, But yes, yes, he did. Unfortunately, as a Schumacher fan, that's something I can't, um, I can't stick up for, if I'm honest. At the time, obviously, you look at it and you hope he's not done it on purpose. But again, we're being racers as we are, obviously not on the level that the Formula One drivers are. But you look back and he just, he,
2: it was... Whoa, 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 whoa. How bad he did it? We're all, we're all exactly the same level as the Formula One drivers.
0: Obviously. Well, we, we, we like to think we are. But when you actually watch back, he just did it really poorly. I mean, Rosberg probably did it better when he went shooting down the escape road and kind of... You know the telemetry kind of lined up with but but yes he did unfortunately that was one of the darker days of being a schumacher fan which i can say was uh was not great along with her rep 97 as well That ninety
1: four. Uh... yeah 94 went great <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. how's your goat feeling right now brother <laughs> it's, look
0: everyone's got their own opinions and <laughs> and i've seen a chat coming at me and i would tell you keep coming but you know everyone likes their own drivers he had a couple of bad days. But for me, like I've said, it was more the personal aspect he had on me and my my life on how I wanted to go. Just to clarify, I don't mean I go and cheat and I knock people off the track and I crash and all that. You're actually incredibly
1: people. fair when it comes to racing. Despite who your heroes are, you are actually an incredibly fair racer. Brad's less fair than you are. I was just about to say, there's only one on this,
0: on this podcast who's crashed someone to take a title. I will let the viewers decide which one that
1: was. but it <laughs> We wasn't discussed me. that last week. <laughs>
2: yeah. All, all I'm saying is you've got to be in contention for the title to crash <laughs> someone out for the title. Um, So, go on, Danny. Who's the next person then? So I think Nelson Piquet is quite... Uh, I wouldn't have... He wouldn't have found his way onto my
1: list. So that's quite an interesting... He was an honourable mention, remember? He hasn't started the okay. list yet. Oh, yeah, no, oh. so
0: he was the first honourable mention. There was a second one on there. What go nearly on. made it on the list. But because he didn't really start the race, I kind of left him off. And someone picked it up in the chat earlier. Chanak Nizani just... When you look into his story 38 loads of money he's actually the father of i think it's roidness isn't, isn't it and um not gp2 it'd be formula two wouldn't it so he turned up. he paid a load of, of money to do a uh, practice session with minardi at hungary in 2005 and was just so bad so 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 bad could hardly keep the car on track um i think his first couple of laps were 25 to 30 seconds a lap slower. And then he actually come into the pits after his first couple of runs and complained the car had too much grip. It was just too fast. He didn't know, you know, he could not control it. And eventually he ended up spinning off into the gravel and he, he you know, he was that out of it that he, he couldn't remember how to remove the steering wheel from the car. So he had to sit in the car while <laughs> the car amazing. got craned up on the crane and took off the track. And then when you read into it, Paul Stoddart afterwards says, obviously, he's not, he's not coming back and not having another outing.
1: But Sorry, yeah. did you say they craned him off the track in the car because he couldn't get out? Yeah, it's on YouTube. You can watch it. He actually That's goes through... amazing. He goes
0: through turn four at Hungary and locks the brakes. The corner's pretty much flat out a bit of a lift, isn't it, <laughs> on whoever you watch, and he goes through, locks the brakes and slides off into the gravel. I've never seen anybody break, lock a brake there, ever. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know how that's he amazing. how he did it. Um, so yeah, and unfortunately, he's not on the list because he didn't start a race, or else he would.
1: He'd arguably top the list. Uh, so you mentioned this. You mentioned this guy to me in, the, in in the middle of the week, and I didn't know who he was, and I, and I purposely didn't research anything because I wanted to hear this for real. But that was that. He's amazing. On,
0: he's on YouTube. If you want to go and watch it, put in uh, Channel Nizani and it will come up and show you his couple of laps at Hungary and then spinning off and sitting in the car being craned off the track.
1: At least his son did a bit better.
2: How old was he, by the way? Because I think he was, he, he was uh, in his 40s. Is that right?
0: I think, yeah, he was 38, I think, when he first got in touch with the team. And I think he was, he was 40, young. 41 when he, he got out on track and had to go in the car. So fair play to him. I mean, if I had that much money, I'd pay to to go and have a go in it. But he certainly didn't um, didn't do him any favours.
2: Okay, so I just want to add one of these. Um, on a similar kind of level to Chanok Nisseni, and i'm sure you were going to mention this later anyway but my favorite person who, this isn't in a race to be fair it wasn't even on a race weekend but it was in a formula 1 car and it was you know on tv you can you can watch this on youtube for sure our illustrious president of the of the FIA mohammed ben salem who is a regular feature on this show um crashed a renault formula 1 car in a straight line into the pit wall yeah. completely destroyed the car and, and I remember this at the time. Obviously, it's I just knew him as a I think a Dakar rally driver. I don't know whether he did WRC, but he was a rally driver. Um, so you think he could, you know, drive a car? But maybe this highlights just how difficult F1 cars are to drive, and and how easy it is to lose control. But he absolutely destroyed the car into the pit wall. It speared across to the right. He must have been in third or fourth gear by this time anyway. And, um, and yeah. yeah. So so go and search for that on YouTube.
0: Yeah, and he only did about two hundred meters. He's actually racing, I think it's a, a GT40, and he just goes off the grid, lights it up. I think he gets about 200 metres and just spears off into the ward, smashes the car up.
1: In the... He nearly hit the GT40. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the thing that it does show is in incapable hands, even in a straight line, F1 cars are fucking difficult to drive.
2: Alex, you don't need to like hide your swears on this show. I, will I know, remember... I'm
1: quite surprised I did. I'll
2: remember to mark it as explicit this week so yes. I don't get in trouble with Apple.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we're not safe for your Wednesday morning commute.
2: So we we haven't actually started the proper list yet. Have we you? haven't yet. So...
0: No. so I'm ready to get into the list if you're ready to, to rock who and are, roll.
2: Who are the worst Formula One drivers that ever raced, Danny?
0: So remember, this is just my opinion. So everybody's got their own opinion. No, this is the definitive
1: opinion. Danny is correct. all right
0: right. we'll go with that if you want um so number five on the list i've gone for he's actually a really nice guy i thought but he just he 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 didn't do himself any glory so we all probably know him i think you spoke about him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago Luca Bodoa. so Luca Bodoa had 50 races in f1 failed to qualify uh i think it was eight times raced in 93 95 96 99 and a short stint in 2009 he mainly was the uh, Ferrari test driver on the Schumacher golden eras. So helping the car set it up. So you would have thought it had been quite good. But when you look into his career, regularly at the back, multiple seconds off the pace, lots of crashes, didn't really go anywhere, you know, mainly attributed to Menardi. But he did have a couple of highlights. And his main highlight actually was in uh, Europe 99 in the famous race when they forgot to put Eddie Irvine's wheel on. He got that Minardi up to fifth and then it broke down just while he was in
2: the points and he was crying at the side of the track. So that's what he's mainly remembered for. So you're saying that one of the, one of the bottom five worst drivers yep. ever is someone who won the Formula 3000 championship yep. and, and then nearly scored points, should have scored points in a total back of the grid car. And this is one of the worst drivers of all time. In my opinion,
0: yes because he only really got up into the points in Europe 99. If a lot of us what remember watching that race was just because everybody seemed to go, we don't want to finish this race. We're going to do everything we can to try and not get the car to the end of the race. So yeah, one result for me doesn't make any difference to the rest of his career and then his big chance really. And this is really why I put him down there in the bottom is when he had the chance to replace Massa in 2009 at Hungary after uh, Massa had his incident. They went to valencia obviously the big news was schumacher was going to come back jump in the car he couldn't because of his neck so Ferrari put luca bedoa in the car because they wanted to give him a, a present back for being so um loyal to the team and he just did a shocking result in a car that was up near the front it obviously wasn't the fastest but he was one and a half seconds off the pace in last didn't do very well in the race and went to belgium and did the exact same uh, performance and then he was that bad that Ferrari actually dropped him after two races of saying they were going to put him into the end of the season and replace him with Fisichella. But he just right. he just didn't do a lot, to be I fair. I
2: can't believe I'm here defending Luca Badoa, but I'm going <laughs> to have to, because we covered this on the show recently. So he had been out of racing for 10 years at the time they put him in that seat to replace Massa. And yes, he was slow compared to the regular drivers. But then when they put Fisichella in, who was considered a good you know, experienced current F one driver, he did basically the same. He didn't really do any better than Badoa had done. So I I think that's I think Badoa has uh, had an unfair shake of the stick there. And I'm gonna disagree with Danny on his first choice. I don't think he's the best F one driver ever, don't get me I wrong. I mean he was shit. But I I feel like it, it was, was just, I just it was a really mean bad. it feels like like he was kicking- a l- lovely
0: guy and as I say his interviews, he seemed really nice. You know, I like him because he, he contributed to the Schumacher domination years with the testing, but his race results. I remember watching him at the time, just thinking that guy is really bad. You could just pick him out though. Cause he's yellow race helmet, but he was just, he he was, yeah, he weren't great.
2: So in the chat, we've got Adam bent, um, chucking in a suggestion, Ukio Katayama, 97 races and only five points. Is he on your list? He came close. He Ooh, was in the top we 10 make the list. Yeah. He was in the
0: top 10. Um, For me, about 94, 95, 96 was when the majority of the worst drivers were around. When uh, when I can remember, anyway, when
1: I look back. Was that mainly down to teams at the lower end of the grid desperate for money? And it was just they would just put in any Tom, Dick or Harry who's got a few million quid to chuck their way so they can get to the next race?
0: Yeah, there were a lot of teams. So they had more teams than... uh, what we're trying to qualify and what could actually race. I think there's 24, 26 slots on the grid that could race. And I think it was up to 32, 34 teams trying to enter. And what they ended up doing was just really anybody who had a lot of money could turn up and try and have a go. I mean, there's some people what did multiple times trying to race and just didn't qualify.
2: So it went really quiet there. So it was yeah, think... it was a bit of an
0: awkward pause. I must admit, I didn't I, know if wanted
2: to carry on or not. So what I think I'm going to do since I forgot to do it at the beginning of this segment is play the bumper that I made for this segment. So no one on Twitter is going to hear it, um, but people on the podcast will, and you're going to appreciate this music and in future, just like I'm getting better at changing between the different scenes on YouTube. So you're going to see a much more varied view of the panelists when we, when we do these shows like you have today. Um, you're also going to hear me remembering to press the bumper button which is what we are going to use from now on to signify we're moving on to a new topic as so long as you remember to, to press
1: record i don't care
2: it, i can see the record button flashing so that means i pressed it so we will have an audio podcast episode this week so danny we're going to move on to the top, four, top worst four drivers but before that let me press the button And for the people listening to on the podcast who heard that little kind of ding noise, that ding was a glint on Lance Stroll's teeth as he smiles on the bumper. Um, Danny, who's the next worst driver in Formula One history?
0: So number four is everybody's favourite Nikita Mazepin. Very, very bad. I think I'd be shocked if anybody in the comments tries to disagree with us on this one. But he was terrible when we look back at the 2021 season. So yeah, he only really raced in Formula One in 2021 for Haas consistently qualified last multiple seconds off his teammate at some point, shockingly in the races. He was, I, I remember watching about the races and thinking he was, was he not a minute over most races? He was a minute behind Mick Schumacher at the back. It was,
1: it was horrific. I've never seen somebody get through so many levels of motorsport being as bad as Mazepin was there was literally no glimpse of anything I mean some of his worst stuff was actually in in Formula 2 because the amount of crashes he caused or nearly caused and terrible racecraft, that guy shouldn't have been allowed anywhere near a main seat once let alone for as long as he was allowed to Um, he was super aggressive when
0: you watched him in uh, Formula 2 trying to come through the wins what he had were, were really lucky to be fair he had a couple of wins in that but the fame the my favorite thing about Mazepin was he was actually that bad in testing with the spin and he was actually christened Maz spin before we even got to the first race.
1: And didn't he get a website, which was has Mazepin yeah. spun today. So yeah. yeah, he was, it was the thing is, it's like we all give Lance Stroll rightly a lot of stick for not being that great, but at least with Lance, he has got better. I think he's plateaued, but he's got better and he's a passable Formula one driver now, but with um, Mazepin also had similar amount of time up to a point when all of a sudden he wasn't allowed to race anymore, um, and he just didn't get any better. He didn't learn from any of his mistakes. He still had this ridiculous ego um, and this feel of entitlement that I think Lance does a fairly good job of keeping a lid on. Um, despite the way he does probably look down his nose at a lot of the reporters when he's having to give an interview about why he's been beaten by his teammate again. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Mazepin is is a really good example of someone who just never should have been allowed anywhere near a race car.
2: So Lenart Markovic in our chat, who is actually a channel member, not just a subscriber. Lenart is like the top level of channel um, participant here. So thanks, Lenart. He mentions, or he he says that basically Mazepin was a bit like Maldonado. He was fast, but he crashed. But I'm actually going to I'm gonna disagree with Lennart before you guys do, because I don't think Mazepin was actually that fast either. He wasn't uh, really comparable even to his rookie teammate Schumacher, who even as rookies go, wasn't that fast either. So I, I think he had no speed and crashed. So that was kind of, he didn't have the flashes of brilliance that Maldonado could have.
0: There's nothing looking back on what you can think that, Mazepin actually did well. I mean, the biggest thing I can remember about um, Mazepin when you get there is his dad complaining that he was going to pull the funding from the team because he was so bad, they were convinced that he was driving a different car. The car had been fiddled with.
2: And Lennart's actually carrying on in the chat. This is why this is so great. This is what full chat is about, interacting with our live chat. Lennart says he was very fast previous to coming to Formula One. So I'm just going to throw in there that he had a lot of backing previous um, to coming to Formula One, which buys you a lot of testing time and buys you the fastest cars in the junior series and as many opportunities to do well as you need. So I would say that when you're looking at a billionaire in the junior categories, they're not getting you're not getting a fair reflection of their skill level versus the average wealthy person that you have to be to do any junior series. So I, I would say that Mazepin probably... Had it easier moving up through the ranks than his um, his competitors in a lot of ways, and you know he was testing Mercedes Formula One cars well before he was yeah. remotely good enough or um, or should have been anywhere near a Mercedes Formula One car. He was paying to test Mercedes F1 cars around the world, which you can guarantee none of his none of his competitors were getting to do that kind of level of preparation before races. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, Lance Stroll had a similar thing where he had a whole season of testing old Williams before he moved to Formula One. But I think um, Mazepin, for me, I just can't see any of the positives. So I'm full, fully in agreement with you Agreed. on this one, Danny.
1: The, thing, the scary thing is, if it wasn't for um, the the Russian, the Russian part of that team being pulled out, um, yeah. he'd still be in the sport. That's the scariest part about it. And we'd probably still have him versus Schumacher because it can't be understated that he made Schumacher made Mazepin look stupid and K-Mag, who had been out of the sport for a year, came back, made Schumacher look stupid. So how bad does that make Mazepin actually look? Which is why I think he's absolutely perfect for this list and is one of those ones that's managed to sweep under the radar purely because of all the funding that he had.
2: If I unmute myself, I'll ask Danny to move on to number three.
0: So moving on to number three, we have, and this is one of my personal favorites because I, I remember him coming in and seeing the calamities that he's caused.
2: Uge Day. So if Kyle Power was watching, it was a good call on that one. Uh, so Yuji Day, I believe, is the driver in our thumbnail on YouTube this week. So the driver crashing through the gravel in a Super Aguri. Is that right? Yep. Is that Super the right
0: Aguri. driver? Good. So he raced in Formula One in 2006, only did four starts. He was brought in as part of the all Japanese lineup for Super Aguri, and was the, it only four stunt.
1: starts? Four starts. How's yeah. a guy got such a legacy of being rubbish with only four starts? Well, I'll tell you that in a minute.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a bit of a calamity of a career, and it's genuinely it is amazing how famous he is for four starts in Formula One. But yeah, raced in 2006. So his first race qualified last three seconds off the pace. Didn't really do a lot a lot of spins, um, getting in everybody's way. Retired, so didn't get to the end of it. His second race in Malaysia, he was 1.7 seconds off the next car. In Australia, he was four seconds off the next car. And Australia really is where he started to come a bit of a a household name, should I say, because in qualifying, spun off multiple times and then eventually spun off, blocked Barrichello on his qualifying lap, knocked Barrichello out of the qualifying session. And it was that bad that Ide couldn't even find how to put the car into reverse. So just sat in the middle of the track. And I can't remember the exact time what it was, but Martin Brundle, I remember, you know, on the commentary was saying, I I can't understand what he's doing, but he he couldn't get the car into reverse.
2: So to be fair, it is difficult to get single seaters down to neutral and reverse. So anyone who's ever driven uh, any kind of single seater or pneumatic or hydraulically actuated gearbox will know that, it's tricky. The car doesn't like changing gear when it's stationary. And sometimes you can do everything right. You can kind of lift the clutch up to the bite point and spin all the gears around as much as you can and try again. And sometimes it just will not change gear. So I might I might give him a free pass on that one. Um, LGH Jatoma in the chat says, he thinks it's unfair. The four-year-old Arrows wasn't very fast and the Albers thing was a touch that caused an unlucky momentum. So what, do you, what have you got to say about that, Danny?
0: I think it was justified to be fair. I think looking back, uh, the car weren't great. Yeah, I admit to that one. It uh, didn't really have much pace, but his teammate Sato made brilliant running out of the car, to be fair. Sato, I was actually really impressed with him in 2006. For the, the package he had, he looked an excellent driver. Uh, kept it on the track, didn't really get into the wall or anything. And I think the next year, I'm sure it was in 2007, when uh, oh, Anthony Davidson joined the team, they had some actually really good results, got quite high up at the field. So yeah, unfortunately, I can't give E-Day a a pass on that. And the reverse, I'd listened, and I know it's difficult to get the car into reverse, but this is back in 2006 when they had months of testing. They could go and do a lot more testing than they can do today. And you would think he would have at least done it once, putting the car into reverse and knew how to do it.
2: So without defending E-Day then, let's just quickly talk about that package that, he had and sato had that year because this is a real interesting maybe we'll cover this in a full history episode later in our season but the super aguri for those who don't know was a team which used four year old arrows chassis painted a different color but totally out of date can you imagine going back four seasons and taking a midfield to backmark a car from then and racing it in the current season just with different colors it's gonna be awful and it was surprisingly all right, wasn't it? It wasn't as hopeless as you'd think it would be, given what I've just said. They did a really good job. I was actually quite a big fan of Super Aguri. I thought they
0: bought something different to the sport. I really liked the team principal Um, the drivers obviously other than E Day, but I did like E I had a soft spot for him. He was just a bit of a calamity, what you kind of eventually ended up loving. But um, yeah, it was a really interesting story, and they, they I thought they were doing quite good bits until they uh, eventually left the sport, but they had a good run. They gave Anthony Davidson a good run in the car. They had some mega performances in some of the races when you look back. They were really challenging for some um, big positions in some races.
2: And Connor Edwards points out that if we went back four years from now, the car would probably actually be quicker than the current car. So that that isn't what I meant. Um, I nearly did say that, to be fair, Connor. (laughs) And inversely, the following year, Super Aguri then got the previous year's Honda. Honda, which was actually better than the current year's Honda, which was a terrible car. So what a weird and wonderful story that was. So anyway, super aguri. Let's, let's kind of put a pin in that one and talk about that one later, because that's a cool story.
0: So yeah, E-Day anyway, that was his third race and his last and final race As someone's already brought up. He started, he was miles off the pace. Uh, he was 1.6 seconds off pole and his race eventually ended. I think it was three or four corners down the road at chicane when he drove into Albers and spun him off. And, the FIA had that enough of him, that much, that they actually removed his super license. That was how bad and a danger he was deemed that they took his license off him so he couldn't race in Formula One.
2: Oh my God, Alex, imagine not having a super license. What a loser.
1: Loser. But also, and we were, me and Brad were talking about this just before the show, and Brad has a picture of it. He also got hit by the safety car
2: you Which well, I think, you know,
1: more, I think you, know more, you know more about it. Alex, no, Alex's, uh,
2: Alex's unintentional racism. That's a different Japanese driver yeah. that we're going to talk about I later. Was, <laughs> I
1: swear it was Uday. No, that's new. Uh, it, ah, it does t- start, yeah, Takuya Taki That does Inui. start
2: with an I, to be fair to you. Okay. It, it might be, said, it, it it be on the, the list. I the chat
1: into Frenzy saying it was him. Because I, I thought it was him. Because I thought it was ironic that someone who's so unsafe got hit by the safety car.
0: He almost made the list. He was in the top ten. It was really hard to come down to it and... Like I said I was up in an R in, but he was on the outskirts. That's definitely uh one what was no, there.
1: I give you plenty of props for all the research you've done, Danny. You've done you've done more research for this show than I think me and Brad ever did for any podcast we've ever been on ever. So well done to you.
0: Mate, I've done more work for this than I do at work. This is like free of charge work. I've spent <laughs> hours I've had false interviews with myself, so please be <laughs> kind to me, chat.
1: Uh,
0: I'm a bit nervous, but oh, mate, I've done that much on it. And I can remember. Most of it, but it's the stats going into out to understand the start to the race for. I can remember most of the teams and I can remember some of the incidents Um and the top two are just dynamite for me. I remember seeing back, I was a lot younger, so I can't remember everything. So I have had to do the research, but these top two should, should have been nowhere near a Formula One car, especially number one. He shouldn't have even knew what Formula One was. That's how bad he was.
2: Let's move on to the top two then. Let's hear it. I'm interested. Let's go.
0: So, in number two, and I have to apologise because I've seen someone on uh, Twitter say, if I bought this up, <laughs> that was never going to listen to the show again. So apologies, Brad. This is one viewer uh, who's leaving. But it is Ricardo Rossi. So he did 26 starts in Formula One. Uh, seven times he didn't qualify. He raced between 1996 and 1998. 1996, he raced for footwork. And he had a lot of crashes, a lot of spins, nothing really too bad. Um but not a not a very good season, if you will. Um, then in 1997, he joined the Lola team. And I know you discussed Lola the other week, I think, on the podcast. So again, they didn't get past the first race and he didn't race. Yeah, for- and,
2: and you're counting that as one of his uh, no, did not qualify no, stats? No, no,
0: no, no, his did okay, not qualify okay. comes from... Uh, well, it, yes, one of them was a did not qualify. I'll, yeah, I'll okay. agree, but the rest of them mainly come in
2: 1998.
0: Okay. But yeah, I didn't... I, just because he didn't race for Lola in 97, I didn't say that makes him one of the worst drivers. And then in 1998, and this is a fact I, I didn't know, I found out earlier. So in 1998, he was selected to drive for Tyrrell. Question to you, because you mentioned the guy on the podcast last week, who do you think selected him to drive for Tyrrell? Who was the team principal in 1998?
2: Uh, so it wasn't Ken Tyrrell?
0: Uh, Ken Tyrrell was around, but he wasn't the team principal deciding Tom, the drivers.
2: Tom Walkinshaw? okay tell me put me out of my misery craig pollock oh
0: okay. and we all know so, how good a <laughs> eye for talent craig pollock has don't we
2: so craig pollock was one of the founders of british american racing um which ultimately became um, honda and then mercedes formula one and he was uh Jacques villeneuve's manager wasn't he through the late 90s and early 2000s he was kind, kind of Edward like the, the chat.
1: got it right
0: yeah uh Craig Pollock was kind of like the Alonso, but in the team principal version, that he would constantly tell everybody how good Jack Villeneuve was, despite him doing nothing and winning a championship in one of the most dominant cars ever seen. That might cause a stir. Apologies, viewers. But um, Uh,
1: that's that is a that is brilliant i i I, when we were doing the whole thing last week on bar and i was just like how can any manager let that go and then i hear then you describe him as the alonso of team managers i understand now yeah he just he constantly
0: kept going on about how good villeneuve was and villeneuve never backed it up he had the occasional good race and
1: like i said 97 and 96 he did very well but hey, listen never villeneuve, had, villeneuve had the opportunity to win his first race and if it wasn't for that car leaking oil, he would have won his first would've race, a... which yeah. would have been the first rookie to ever win a race. Win yeah. their first, first rookie to win their first race, which no one has done yet.
2: Wait, surely the first race that ever happened in Formula One—you can't count one that the race.
1: Can't count that. That's just a default that's, stat to have. That's not a stat that works. And wasn't 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 there lots of races before the F1 championship actually started? Yeah. There was those of like individual races and stuff.
0: But on um, Rossi, so that was the first thing that Craig Pollock picked into uh, partner to uh Takam, Takagimi, I forget his name, where is it?
2: Something like that. Something like that. Try, yeah, try really, it again. Try really, it another way.
0: Uh, Takagami. That was it. Yeah. The, the nerves got to me then. Apologies, people. I really Tamagotchi. To... Anyway, moving on to it. So he had a bad season in nineteen ninety eight. Failed to qualify five times. So didn't really do that well in qualifying. But the famous bits, what we had from him was in Monaco, he, uh, he spun in qualifying and trying to spin the car back round. He spun it and ended up beating himself on a curb and taking him out of qualifying. To the point that the next day in a race, when he was driving, he was having a shocker as well. He had a bit of contact with Villeneuve and his mechanics, this is how bad he was, his mechanics totally had enough of him. And I kind of like this, it's quite bad to say really, but I thought it's quite funny went to his scooter that he used to go around the paddock on with his name Rossit on there and rearranged the letters to Tosser for when he got off the track. I thought it was a bit harsh, but I thought fair play to whoever thought about doing it.
2: And uh, a couple of people in the chat saying, are we talking about, was it Tora Takagi? Is that...
0: Yes, that's the one. Sorry. I remember him. Sorry, I just got tongue-tied and nervous and it just... Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah.
2: I I remember. I remember that era. This is This is the era I was growing up watching F1. And you just don't really know because you didn't have access probably to the same kind of stats as we do now. And you didn't get to look back and see what all the drivers had done. You, all you got to see was what was on BBC or ITV or whatever at the time. Um, and, I just remember
0: you know, looking back when I was watching the season thinking, who's that guy who's really bad in the black car, just spinning off everywhere, just causing chaos. And yeah, when you look at most lists across YouTube and, and do the stats and the research, he's, he's pretty much in everybody's list as some of the worst drivers in Formula One.
2: And and as we said, kind of at the start, th- there's this real tricky line to find because this is clearly someone who, to most people, would be a an incredibly brilliant driver to to be able to get yeah. to that stage and have the success in the junior categories that he had. I mean, I mean, in fact, you can probably tell me, did he win any championships on his way up the ladder, or was he? Was he the kind of driver that finished eighth and just paid to continue to the next step?
0: No, amazingly, a lot of these drivers, when you look at him, did okay, to be fair, before Formula One. And amazingly, a lot of them did okay after Formula One. So after they had a calamity and a shocker in Formula One, they actually went on to be okay. And I think Rossi was one of them as well. I've not got the, the stats earlier from what I've seen him do afterwards, but a lot of them actually went on to have decent racing careers in either GT or saloon racing somewhere.
2: And LGH Jatoma, who I always probably pronounce incorrectly, says he won Formula Nippon after leaving Formula 1. So wow. he went on to go and win a very competitive, high-level single-seater championship after Formula 1. I think maybe we get a bit of a a, a kind of an, uh, biased view because some of these drivers are in cars which are just so shit and hard to drive compared to people at the front like Damon Hill driving an absolute dream on wheels of a Williams.
1: Are you two going um, to approach this topic that we were talking about off the show? I'd like I, to. Because I'm, I'm staying well out of it. You two, can, a... you two can have this conversation it was and really, upset the audience. It
0: was funny because we started talking about the worst drivers, didn't we? And then me and Brad obviously said, well, you know, some world champions weren't that great to drive. They weren't the worst drivers in Formula One. But if you were doing a scale of who were the best world drivers to be world champion... And then obviously we got onto a chat of uh, who we thought probably the bottom two would be from what we can look into. But yeah, I thought it was a good discussion. Go for
1: it.
2: Well, uh, maybe we do the final one. Maybe we do the top top bottom worst (laughs) driver
1: ever. (laughs) The top bottom.
2: I'm going to play the bumper one more time just, you know, because we're on to like the worst. you spent time making it. Yeah, and I kept forgetting. To, I forgot to press it as we changed subject multiple times through the show. So I'm going to press it now to signify we're moving on to the worst driver in Formula One history. So Danny Henney, tell us who and why is the worst ever driver in Formula One?
0: So, this guy for me was very impressive. I was quite young when I seen him race, but I do remember the the issues what he had. So he's called Jean Denis Delatraz. Oh my god, Delatraz. Delatraz. <laughs> Delatraz. <laughs> and Wasn't it's there? been, a, Yeah. So it's been interesting looking back and remembering just how bad this guy was. And as I say, this guy should shouldn't have even known what Formula One stood for. Um, it was that bad. So. He had three race starts. So he raced in 94 and 95. So he raced in the last race of 1994 in Australia. And that's famous for some reason. It slips my mind for some reason. I can't remember what was famous and uh, what was the big issue in Australia in 1994, but he raced there. He qualified at the back. He was seven seconds off the pace. In the race, he was seven seconds off the pace. So that's the next car as well. And he got lapped 10 times.
1: before the end of the race. <laughs> like, ten times. Wasn't there a... It wasn't, someone's also mentioned it in the comments. Um, Murray Walker once shouted, what is Delatraz doing? Yeah, that was at Nürburgring, so that was the later <laughs> one. Oh, man. I don't, again, I don't know a great deal about this guy, but I just know his name, because I know him because he is synonymous with being awful. And, and just... the
2: father of Louis Delatraz. It's amazing how many of these kind of failed or backmarker F1 drivers... Then have the finance to fund their sons to carry on and and try and follow in their footsteps, but better. Yeah, so that was
0: the first one. That was his first race. We've not even got into the second. Oh, one we got yet. we got more. Oh, we right. got oh we Let's got go. more. And then and the <sighs> final uh, famous statistic. I've seen someone just mention it in the chat as well. So they obviously clued up as well. So his second race was in Portugal. So he qualified last again, and just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, he was twelve seconds off the pace right that's amazing and again I've got
1: these stats from off the internet so it might have been a second up second down but he he was bad put it that way to be fair with stats like that they're generally right by the way Mark Greenhow I'm not saying what you've said you're very very mean and if we were to tell this person they'd have a right go at you you're very mean Mark Greenhow I love Greenhow
0: so I don't believe he said anything bad (laughs) So I charge him double
1: money for the next
0: time I'm coaching him (laughs) um so, yeah, in Portugal, he's 12 seconds off the pace in qualifying, proceeded to lap up to 12 seconds off the pace in the race. Um, and then, so how many laps do you think he was lapped by the end of that? Well, by the end of the race. Sorry, not the end of the race, before he retired. 15. No, he got a little bit better. He was only lapped seven times. Before the lapsed? end of the race.
1: Uh, oh, you got me. I didn't. I didn't look at that. Oh, okay. Probably around. 50 He said he retired, so I'm, I'm interested to see how far he got into the race before he was lap, before he was left those many times.
0: Probably, probably around 50 But I know he got lapped, like, you know, pretty quick. That's, That's amazing.
2: Once again, to put in perspective, when we're talking about bad F1 drivers, and I mean those stats you've just given us sound pretty awful this driver went on to win Le Mans twice. You know, yeah. to go on and do a thing which the rest of us could only dream of having the opportunity to be on the grid, let alone win Le Mans. And this guy, who we've just cited as the worst driver ever to be in Formula One, won that massive race twice, which then goes to show you why people value F1 results and careers higher than other he sports. He won Le Mans. Uh, yeah. For who? Um, I don't know for who. I'm just LGH Jotoma again in the chat. They must have been amazing. (laughs) Oh, I mean, you never know. Maybe maybe he was the pro or maybe they were all pros. But uh, Raymond Ray in the chat saying, if you think Maldonado was not bad winning, how can Damon Hill be bad? He won a World Drivers' Championship and 22 races out of 116 starts. We can get into this maybe in a little while if we've got time or maybe on another episode. But I don't think any of us are saying Damon Hill is bad uh, or was bad. I just think we are probably saying he was in massively better equipment than the people he was racing for the drivers championship and when you think about it how can anyone who didn't actually start racing in formula 1 until they're in their 30s and did no karting and wasn't really interested in motorsport like how can any of them how can anyone like that actually be objectively remotely as good as a modern driver who we would consider a bad driver, who's had all the prep from karting, uh, you know, all the single seater series, all the simulator sessions, all the fitness training. Like objectively, surely Lance Stroll is on another level of performance and skill than Damon Hill in period. If you were to put them in the same car, we've had this discussion on other podcasts before, but yeah, that's my view. But and we can delve into the details of that
1: maybe another time. And in 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 regards to that one, when you look at people like Fangio who was in his 50s when he was racing, I'm sorry, there is nobody in that era of motorsport who is better than anybody who's in Formula 2, let alone Formula 1. And Danny, can I, Danny, I, can I go I, for
0: it. I was going to say, can I finish my last point? I'm really excited to it. get this last one out because I, I forgot that this actually happened. So in his last race, it was in the Nürburgring. So this, he actually got a little bit better. So he was nine seconds off the pace again. But he did finish the race. It was the only race out of three. He finished in 15th, mainly because he was the last runner, but he got to the end of the race. And that is the famous one, Alex, for, yeah, when they're coming down the back straight at Nürburgring, Lacey goes past him and has Schumacher's coming up. he like It looks like he's trying to warm his tyres up, like halfway through the race or something. <laughs> and then he dives off to the left over the grass. And, yeah, that's when Murray Walker says, what, what's Stellatraz doing? Like, all confused and bamboozled. So he did do great in his racing career, But the stat, what really jumps out to me, and I only found this out earlier, I didn't actually know this, was he was so bad, so slow, and so far off the pace that he is the reason why they introduced a 107% qualifying rule.
2: Okay, Okay. that that might help put him to the top of the list, to (laughs) be fair. That's quite a good
1: factoid. When you have to have a rule to stop people as slow as him being in the sport. That kind of works. Most people thought it was more to do with making sure the teams produce fast enough cars, but it no. wasn't. It was because of that address. Amazingly,
0: researching it, I mean, it wasn't a driver. Well, it was a driver because you are be driving the car, but when I were looking into it, some of the teams, there was actually a team, and I forget the name of what it was now, in the early 90s, who ran a different engine to all the other Formula 1 cars, and they were 22 seconds a lap slower. That was what you were allowed to get away with. But obviously, they didn't well, qualify Flintstone for the race. I they weren't, he didn't look like he was far away. I must admit, I didn't really <laughs> see the legs going underneath. But yeah, 22 seconds. They ran like a V8 instead of a V10 or something detuned and cost about £20 from the down the road or something. But, <laughs> yeah, the there were there some amazing autos.
2: The sport we grew up with in the 90s, uh, us three at least was such a different prospect to what we have now where, and you can see kind of some of the reasoning why the teams are keen to keep this 10 team elite high level series, you know, aside from obviously the obvious financial implications for each of them. It's we, although we don't have the quantity of teams and some of the, some of the added storylines that having more cars and drivers would add, we do have a very exceptionally high quality field in terms of drivers and teams um, despite you know we've still got cars at the back, but compared to the back in the past, it's so much closer than it ever has been.
1: Um, um, Connor Edwards in the chat says, "I think the team was called Life. It had a straight twelve, that was the one, and had about four hundred horsepower. That was the one. Yeah, <laughs> in a year, in in years before we had, they had probably had eight hundred horsepower. That's that's insane. It that's... looked like a
0: Ferrari when you see the picture. It looks like a it looks like a budget version Ferrari." But yeah, that's Is it the one, like when sorry. somebody
1: makes a Ferrari 355 out of a Toyota MR2? MR2, yeah, kind of <laughs> like that.
0: But just to finish up on Delatraz, obviously the rule got implemented for him and it was actually
2: known as the Delatraz rule for a short period of time.
1: Brilliant. I love that. That's Danny, fantastic.
2: Danny, thanks so much for doing all that research and um, we appreciate that.
1: Uh, I, have fun- an, mm-hmm. I have an honourable mention for somebody who never made it to Formula One, but their Antics for things they did in Formula One were so brilliant that there are multiple videos online for it, and that is Mavahir Mahir, Mavahir Raganathan. Oh. Some, and this is recent. This is the last few years. I
2: I have to say, I do think this is the worst driver to ever get to 100%. Formula Two level for sure. Uh, this, I mean, I'm sure you're going to tell us, Alex, but this no. driver...
1: <laughs> you can tell the story. You know it better well, than I
2: <laughs> I, Well, all, all I know is that he was so far off the pace that this is an example where any of us three probably could, with very little practice, as long as we're fit enough, do a lot better. We'd still probably be last, but we'd be last several closer. seconds closer to the pace than he was. It was absolutely painfully terribly bad and dangerous and i'm surprised he was able to keep his international a license whatever you need for formula two um, as long as he did yeah mahavir ranganathan
1: yeah mahavir ranganathan he he just he hardly ever finished a race i don't think he ever scored any points he was always backwards at some point and it, it was just atrocious um Josh Revel did an amazing video on YouTube, the tumultuous tumultuous tale of Mihir and Ranganathan, and it is um, a absolute brilliant watch. So I, 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 I advise you to go and find that video on YouTube because you will laugh for however long that video is, for I've 22 another, minutes and 15 seconds. Uh,
2: another honourable mention of a driver who was an F1 development driver, so kind of got near an F1 car. And I can't remember her name, but it was I think it was Bernie Eccleston's niece. what was the name she she was a Renault development driver about eight years ago oh, uh, and, oh. and and always had exactly the wrong thing to say <laughs> about women drivers she She said that women shouldn't be racing against men um oh, what was her name she was I, I so yeah. forgot Danny
1: stop tapping. <laughs> But the, um, yeah.
2: their simulator driver at the time who what, I believe was Sorensen, marco Sorensen, because this was around the same time. Carmen uh, Jordan. Thank you, As Carmen always. Jorda. I was literally waiting
1: for Connor to tell us because it was Con- Connor.
2: Connor is our absolute encyclopedia in the chat. So thanks, Connor, as always. Carmen Jordan. I it was she never drove a Formula One car. She may well have done that Renault kind of Test experience that you know celebrities can do and and you can pay to do, but I don't think she ever actually did any kind of test. Thank goodness. But yes, yeah, someone else who shouldn't have remotely got near that level and was at the back in the junior series. So, guys, I think that kind of brings us to the end of our our scheduled segments um thanks so much danny for doing the research thanks to alex for turning up as usual and doing basically no work um, and thanks to our live chat for keeping us entertained giving us insightful comment and for helping us out with answers that we don't know um i should probably bring up my notes but just remember to follow our panel danny henny is now on twitter so we literally latest- forced
1: him to get on twitter um to come on this show so please go and follow him
2: at Danny Henny f one is that your handle on Twitter?
0: it is yeah, that was advised by Alex to put on as a safe handle, as he
1: called it um, so, yeah, so and it Danny is. Henny f was already taken that's why.
2: So there's a funny story about that, which is that Danny joined Twitter and within like half an hour, I told people to go follow him as a sympathy follow. <laughs> and, and within a few minutes he had more followers than this show has on Twitter. <laughs> so also go and follow at fullchatf F1, uh, follow at Alex Van Jean on Twitter, and obviously follow me at Bradley Philpot. Um, and that's just about it. For tonight's show alex is also putting out videos on tiktok so maybe go and have a look at some of his tiktok if videos if brad
1: sends me the downloaded version of the show so i can make the video
2: well i've remembered to record it so that's a good start <laughs> so hopefully we'll, we'll have a podcast out tonight unless the audio sounds terrible when i listen back in a moment so i'll send you the video as well um and obviously final thing if you're listening watching um us on youtube subscribe to the channel help us out give us a subscribe give the video a like and tell your friends about this oh And give us an iTunes rating or a Spotify rating, whatever you want. We've had a couple of five-star ratings because we're a proper podcast. We're a big grown-up podcast that has uh, an audio feed out every week. So thanks, everyone. We still don't have a good full chat ending, so I'm just going to say a boring one. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.